Ramblings from reading. We have all been there. We all know that feeling. We planned and perfectly presented a coherent, well-resourced and creative lesson. At the point of teaching, it felt like a teaching and learning triumph. However, a week goes by and we return to our subsequent lesson only to find in our follow-up that our little learners have only gone and lost the vast majority of the learning that appeared to have taken place. Though perhaps at best regurgitate some disorganised facts, at worst they look at you bright-eyed but with blank faces. We don't need research to tell us that teaching is complicated. What research does increasingly tell us is that there is a multifaceted link between what we teach and how children learn, and most importantly, that this is not straightforward. It is an invisible process after all, one that is both hard to pin down and comprehend. I know it has subjected me personally to many a sleepless Sunday night. However, we mustn't fear as the mystery of learning is well and truly unlocked through developing our understanding of cognitive science, and in particular, Sweller's cognitive load theory. Cognitive load theory provides us with some clarity to the complexity of learning. It is a theory that is not new, but something which is increasingly being supported by an abundance of really readable and readily available literature and brought to life through colourful diagrams and illustrations. What we know to be true is this. When we start thinking cognitive load theory, we unlock the potential to begin to understand how to overcome some of our children's learning hurdles. It comes as no surprise that cognitive load theory has been named as potentially the single most important string to our teaching bows. However, understanding it is one thing, but thinking practically about cognitive load theory within our classroom practices still remains tricky, for me included. For starters, we need to ascertain the difference between short and long-term memory so we can understand what we're working with. This bit is simple really. Short is finite, whereas long-term memory can be seen as infinite. Failure in learning happens when and if subject knowledge is incomplete. What happens next is our children are unable to fall back on the long-term memory and the working memory becomes overloaded, leading to working memory failures. These manifest in different ways, curtailed recall, failure to follow instructions, place-keeping errors and abandoning of the task. Gather Cole and Alloway 2007. So we know this failure happens, and we have probably just had many real-life examples spring to our minds. However, in order to unpick how to reduce cognitive overload, we need to get right to the nitty-gritty and think intrinsic, extraneous, and germane cognitive load. I have scratched the surface of understanding these below. Intrinsic cognitive load. The demand we put on children's working memory when new learning is unleashed. Their working memory's ability to process this is both dependent on the nature, we'll unpick this a little more later, of the information and the children's prior knowledge. It is the what. Extraneous cognitive load. The demand is placed on how information is presented. These are often processes that are not necessary for the task or learning, but come about because of how we deliver the learning. It is the how. Germane cognitive load is defined as the way in which learning transfers into long-term memory. It is where children need to permanently place this knowledge. You could argue it is the where. Understanding the infrastructure of cognitive load theory is really helpful. But for us humble teachers, I believe the real magic lies behind uncovering practically how to use our understanding to then transform these into teaching tools that endeavour to combat cognitive overload in action. So time to turn our attention to some small and subtle suggestions as to how we can go about translating our understanding of cognitive load theory to nudge how we think about our children's learning process in action. Firstly, intrinsic cognitive load. Here we must accept that although it is vital to make our children think hard, it needs to be done in manageable steps. Think small steps, think bite-sized nuggets of knowledge. Alongside breaking down subject content when introducing new topics, we must allow time for regular check-ins to reflect upon and observe children's understanding. 
It is also vital that we unlock prior knowledge as part of this. Connections must be created. In short, we need to simply find ways not to overwhelm our children too early on during the introduction of new work. Secondly, minimising extraneous cognitive load. Here we must stop children from becoming distracted by information that is irrelevant to the aim of our learning journey's destination. For starters, please pluck away the fluff and faff from the worksheets and PowerPoints, me included. Instead, enable children to make sense of new material by referencing to mental models or pre-existing knowledge. We've got to move away from our teacher temptation of designing engaging tasks. This is not defying memorable experience or the use of high quality resources. We simply must just ask ourselves whether we are putting in front of our children carries a risk of them becoming distracted by things that are unrelated to the learning. Code rightly reminds us that engagement with a task is a poor proxy for learning. We simply mustn't confuse the two. Germane cognitive load is a tricky one to think about in practice. This is a very time dependent process whereby our learning experiences achieve a permanent record in our memory. We probably best know it as consolidation. Daily repetition and exposure to our fundamental curriculum concepts is a good place to start here. Time to really think about what knowledge children need readily available. Arguably, the easiest and quickest win with cognitive load theory lies with an extraneous cognitive load. The key to its success is down to how, we, how accessible we enable new learning and information to become based on its presentation. All things considered, I think that's a pretty quick fix in any classroom, mine included. So I've touched on the tiniest slither of the minefield that is cognitive load theory and what it could mean for both our classroom and most importantly our children. It is also important to reflect upon how the science of learning can very much overload our, the teacher's brains too. We must try hard to not get confused or lost in its complexity but keep at the forefront of our mind two things, what it means for us as teachers and what it means for our children as learners. So if nothing else here are some headlines. Present instructions clearly. Avoid using too many sources of information simultaneously, take small steps, make connections and don't blur the lines of engagement with learning.